0: Welcome to Leader Horse to Water, the equine training and behaviour podcast. I'm Trudy Dempsey and I'm your host. Today, a little departure, I'm joined by the lovely Cheryl Colus. Cheryl is from Colorado, USA and is a veterinarian who specialised in behaviour, working with shelter animals, primarily cats, and with pet owners to help them better understand their dogs and cats and manage or resolve unwanted behaviours in their pets. She and her colleagues have even published research on cat clicker training. Although no longer in clinical practice, Cheryl remains passionate about animal behaviour and welfare and is always looking for learning opportunities in those fields. She's a Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner, served on the board of the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behaviour and is a member of the IAABC and also the International Society for Equitation Science. Cheryl has been riding horses since she was about 12 years old, mostly doing once a week lessons with periods of a few years here and there where she was lucky enough to ride more often and compete on others' horses. Although most of her clicker training experience has been with cats and dogs, including teaching puppy and cat training classes, She actually first learned of clicker training through reading Alexandra Curlin's book on clicker training horses about 20 years ago and has presented locally on equine clicker training. Last year, Cheryl finally purchased her first horse, an off-track thoroughbred mare, Cheerio. And she is enjoying clicker training Cheerio and her baby, who is now a yearling. I hope you'll enjoy the conversation. I found it had so many parallels to horse training. And talking about horse training heads up you have just over 24 hours if you're listening to this when it first comes out to get on the early bird price for my understand horses improve your positive reinforcement training course understandhorses.com get on there get that one for 189 pounds for a full student you can also sign up this time as an auditor for an awesome 89 pounds I think that's incredible value you get to watch other people's training you get to watch the feedback that i give them you get all the lectures as part of that and you can decide if maybe one day you'd like to take that course as a full student as well I'd also love you to join me at coffee coffee ko-FI.com forward slash leader horse to water or one word. You'll find me and my personal scrapbook of training. You can see me training my dogs. You can hear my private, personal thoughts on training. It's very intimate. You'll see some of my students' work and you'll see feedback on my students' work. And we will tease things apart and have some deep conversations. You also will have the opportunity to win every month a feedback on five minutes of your own training. So do come and join us at coffee.com. On with the podcast. Today I'm joined by Cheryl Colus, and um, I'm really excited to be talking to her because she's my very first cat person to be on the podcast and as regular listeners will know I'm massively into the idea of uh, cross-species training and getting experience with lots of different species I think it's so so important Um, as you heard from Cheryl's bio uh, she has great experience in this I'm going to ask her first of all uh, to dive into the information about
1: cats so welcome Cheryl
0: and tell me a little bit about how did you get into training Clicker training cats, where did that come from?
1: Well, first of all, Trudy, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, I first found out about clicker training, um, you know, through Alex Alex's book on clicker training horses, but at the time I just had my two kitties. And so I thought I would start trying to work with them. And I just remember doing, you know, this was what, 20 years ago now, um, doing a little bit of basic targeting maybe with them um, at first. And unfortunately, my one cat had passed, passed away at about 11 years of age. But when my other cat was um, 17, I had taught her to walk back and forth in a tub full of water for her arthritis, sort of a hydrotherapy thing. My dog at the time was also getting some hydrotherapy on an underwater treadmill at a rehab center, and I thought, well, she could use it, too. And she I I had already taught her some basic, you know, sit, spin, target different things like that Um, so that I was involved with a um, cat clicker training. I think at the time it was a Yahoo group. And somebody out there um, who was a cat behaviorist uh, wanted a video of my cat doing that. And so she actually, her video ended up on, um, in a presentation in Japan (laughs) um, from this lady who gave this talk on clicker training cats. Um, So anyway, I started with them because those were the critters that I had and um, amazing little cats. In fact, um, growing up, I actually didn't have, I wasn't allowed to have pets really. Um, my brother and I had a couple gerbils and, um, I got a couple of goldfish from that. I won from a fair and li- looking back the poor things, they were so unenriched. Um, but anyway, so I begged for a dog growing up and couldn't have it. And as soon as I moved out, um, I was in a, in a rental unit that actually didn't allow pets. So of course I got cats because you could hide cats, which I don't recommend because you never know what might happen, but, um, and they were amazing. They were my first experience with cats, my little peanut and Ernie, and they were just brother and sister cats and they were absolutely amazing. Um, so I started with them and then, uh, after, after becoming a veterinarian, I ended up kind of falling into the animal sheltering world, I had volunteered at our local cat rescue, um, doing other things as a veterinary student, and they knew of my interest in behavior. And then interestingly, um, they were approached by a wealthy retired businessman who had learned about the high euthanasia rates for cats in some areas of the country here in the U.S., um, and wanted and had heard about clicker training and wanted to see if he could help um, cat, more cats get adopted. Thankfully, the the cat rescue that I was with um, they were a limited admission adoption guarantee rescue, so they were excellent in finding. You know, they they couldn't take all the cats, you know, that needed sheltering, but they would find homes for for every cat there, pretty much, um, unless there was a medical issue. So, um, so he started this, this wealthy retired businessman started a nonprofit, um, that I ended up managing and it was called click, which was short for clicker learning Institute for cats and kittens. (laughs) And we specifically, we had a, um, we were associated with the cat rescue, but we were in a, a separate nonprofit and we were in a separate unit in that same building um, it just happened to work out that way that there was a um, they had multiple units in a building and the cat rescue rented some of them and we rented a space there so we would take um, about up to 12 cats from the cat rescue into our unit in our, in our little behavior unit I guess you could call it um, and I was associated with the university here, um, some a researcher there and who is involved with a lot of human-animal interaction research. And we developed this research project where we could, We the idea initially was to see, does clicker training cats really increase adoption rates or do they have a shorter length of stay at a shelter? But we needed to back up and just, basically prove that cats could be clicker-trained at all. So that I guess there really wasn't that much research on clicker-training cats. This is um, 2015, 2016 when we started. So we just looked at, um, can you train a shelter cat, which is already probably in a, you know, not an ideal environment for them. Um, can you train them certain behaviors? And then later our plan was to look and see if, um, The clicker trained cats had a shorter length of stay overall. Um, Unfortunately, we didn't get to that project, but we took cats that were at least six months of age because kittens tend to get just adopted pretty quickly. And um, they would come to our facility for two weeks and we would train them just for five minutes, twice a day, morning and afternoon, um, using clicker training. And we started out by doing like a little... Food preference test, like a very little one, we would offer them uh, chicken baby food and tuna, um, and see if they if they liked either or if they had a preference. And typically, we would we would use whatever they went to first or seemed to eat most of. Um, sometimes we would use other treats, or sometimes their regular canned food they that they would get. So. We did a video of them, like a pre-training video where we decided to train four specific behaviors, targeting, so just touching their nose to, We used a chopstick, um, sit, spin in a circle, and high five. And we we would start out by just taking them into a little room so there were fewer distractions or sometimes we would just do it in the cage it really depended on their personality some cats did not want to leave their cage so we respected that um, and we would go through the motions of like saying giving a verbal cue and then presenting um, body language cue and seeing what they do and of course you know most cats didn't know what we were trying to do although some of them um, you know they follow things they follow your finger or whatever so so you know we did Certainly, get some behaviors and then we would train them for that two weeks and then repeat that um videotaped session where we would ask them the same thing in the same way and see what if any improvement there was and what we found was um about so we scored them also differently as far as how fluent they were with the behavior so um how precise really that they were with the behavior. So for instance, sitting would have a score of one, two, or three and and zero as well. Zero would be that they didn't offer any behavior when cued. And one for a sit might be um, that their little butt started to go towards the floor, but it didn't really land on the floor. (laughs) And two would be that um, it was touching the floor, but maybe um, their paws were up or something. So they didn't have all four feet on the floor. And three would be the full behavior. Their butt is firmly on the floor and their front feet were also on the floor. So we had different scores for each of those behaviors. And we found that 95% of the cats, um, and we had hundred cats in the study, um, did display either a two or a three. So the higher scores for targeting. And then we also found that, um, of them scored a three, so did perform the behavior very well for spinning in a circle. And another 16% scored a two, so a partial circle. (laughs) And then we had um, 27% that scored a three for sitting, and 32% that scored a two. So together, you know, we've got what 59% there that at least offered, you know, a good resemblance of the behavior. And we, we had about 38% who scored a two or three for giving a high five, which um, I was a little disappointed in that, to be honest, because when we were doing some preliminary work, um, we had about 58%, I think, of the cats that would give high fives. So they're actually pretty good at that. And interestingly, they seem to be better. Had it when they were in a cage because often we would train outside of the cage again depending on the cat's personality but um i think they like reaching through the cage to touch something yeah that's (laughs) quite a
0: sort of natural behavior with cats to use their paw to sort of touch through a cage or something i guess yeah was there any Uh, relevance to, um, did you train some of the cats in different order through the behaviors or were they all taught in the same sort of way? Were all four behaviors taught at once? How did, you know, did did that, did you feel that affected the numbers at all?
1: Well, we definitely started with targeting and we did. um, My personal opinion is that you don't necessarily have to do what we call loading the clicker or, you know, getting that association between click and treat, click and treat. Um, without t- t- teaching the first behavior, because I feel like they get that association even at the same time that you're teaching targeting. But we went ahead and did that anyway. So we would do like 20 times click, treat, just click, treat, click, treat. And, and granted, not every cat was engaged with us, especially not at first. Some of them took a couple of days or so to come around and be involved in the training. And there's few cats that, you know, they didn't really want anything to do with it. Either they just wanted petted or they were just too shy or fearful. Um, so we all started out with targeting and typically we did sit and spin and hide. F- I guess really the three of those, it just depended on what the cat was willing to do and yeah. seemed more um likely to do. So yeah, I don't think we did have a particular order yeah
0: no it's it's awesome i mean cats now it's much more a thing people i think are more aware of training cats um uh, one of my favorite hashtags on instagram <laughs> is uh clicker training cats because there's some awesome stuff out there that people yes. do um but you know in terms of Useful behaviors, it's marvellous, you know, something like a high five in terms of inspecting paws, something like touching a target so that, you know, you can check ears or eyes or things. So in terms of cooperative care, I know that you've done a fair bit of looking at that side of training. And that's something that we're really moving into with horses now. So I think people are going to see quite a parallel there. For me, I think if you can train a cat in cooperative care, there is no reason that you can't train a horse, because I very much find with cats that it's in their time, and if they want to, and you can, you know, sort of up the odds on in your favour, but really you are working with the individual, and they are setting the, the, the schedule, whereas with horses, I find it's they're much more engaged in cooperative pair things, it seems really straightforward. Um, but I've watched some of your videos and you make it look very easy with cats. I'm sure that's not the case, so I know you've got a really lovely clip of you working with i think that was with a high five into them using it for a a, a claw was it a, a claw treatment or something yeah it is. It, it how difficult is co-opted care with a cat
1: well first i might i have to confess that i've done it with my own cat um so i i wasn't doing it necessarily with the shelter cats although we always nail trims with, with any cat is always a big well not always a big deal but it can be a big deal with a lot of cats and so even at the shelter, we found ways, um, to help cats tolerate their nail trims. It wasn't really cooperative care, but it was a lot of maybe distraction with food while they're just standing loose or, um, or sometimes not even picking their paw up from the table, just letting them stand there and you can still kind of press out their claw and get it while they're eating or something like that. But with my cat, um, yeah, so she's, definitely clicker trained and um, she would give some pretty decent high fives or shake hands and things like that. So um, I did start to use that trick as her way of cooperating with nail trims. And the fun thing with my cat is that um, she (laughs) she's very food motivated. So obviously that helps, but I just use her regular kibble for it for training usually. So she has become, she has decided her station. So a lot of times in cooperative care, not always, but um, you might have a particular station that you train the animal to go to, which indicates that is considered like their start button. I know that's a term that we use sometimes, but that is basically they learn if they're in that spot or if they offer you a certain behavior, maybe it's looking at you or, or lowering their head and with a horse or whatever it might be um that is kind of their cue to us that they are ready to participate or ready to move on to a different behavior um for my cat somehow it came to be that she runs and sits on the toilet seat (laughs) so we do a lot of training now in our bathroom and um and she's so cute because she literally runs there and just sits and waits and for to do something and so um I've moved to to doing most of her stuff right there, and she'll give her little shake hands, and I can clip, you know, one nail. And of course, we start slow, so it's just t- touching a paw and then pushing down on it so that the claw is um, comes out, and then touching it with the nail clippers, you know, step by step for sure.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so she does pretty well with that, but I've also taught her. Um, About a year and a half ago or so, she became really pruritic or itchy. She just, for a month or so, I don't know if it was allergies. We never really found out for sure um, what was going on, but she was really itchy. And I started to think, um, and it was around her ears, but also on the rest of her body. And I started to think, well, I might have to give her some ear medications or something. So I better work on that. And so one of the things that ended up happening with her is just, I would say, I would wait her start button would be just to look up at me. Um, I'd be kneeling in front of her in front of the toilet (laughs) while she's sitting there. And, uh, she would look at me and I would say, eventually I would say ear and place my hand towards her ear. And I honestly don't remember how it started, but I think she just started like rubbing her ear against my hand. So I, it's great when they move their body part to your hand. Right. I think that's the best, um, But I will say with horses too, I have just given sort of predictor cues. Like I, I might say with a horse eye and then go and touch their eye and they learn that that's coming and just knowing that's coming, right. Is a big deal. So they're not surprised by it. So she would just, um, my cat would, lean her ear, rub her ear into my hand. And then we moved on to me holding a cotton ball and she would rub it against the cotton ball. And then I used a wet cotton ball, just water. So, cause all, it seems like all of the ear cleaners and ear medications just have a good, really strong scent to them, unfortunately. Um, and she would rub up against that. And then I started adding, she would, she would touch my one hand with her ear. And then I added another, basically a predictor cue saying, hand and I'd bring my other hand up because typically you're going to need two hands to actually clean an ear. Um, and so I do that and I, I got, we never really had to do the ear medication. So I've, um, gotten as far as like putting the wet cotton ball at the base of her ear and I haven't pursued it as as much as I should. It's still (laughs) on my list to keep moving with that, but we've done other things too, which is fun. So she knows, um, so she gets a topical dewormer on the back of her neck, right on the skin, and she knows to sit on her toilet seat. And if I say neck, she actually kind of bumps her little neck up oh. <laughs> and I can touch it. And then I, I always have to go through some steps with that because she still doesn't super enjoy the liquid, the feeling of the liquid, mm-hmm. I guess, on her skin, but she does really well for it. Um, so we do that. And then I've worked on also. Um, getting her used to me kind of opening her eyes with my fingers and looking in at her eye in case we ever have to do eye meds Mm -hmm. and same thing with her lips and her mouth, you know, opening her mouth a little bit, looking at her teeth and stuff like that. So just trying to give different cues, both verbal. I do use both verbal and body language. I try to separate them out. I guess I still see my verbal cue as a bit of a predictor that I'm going to move my hands toward her. Um, And and so she's been doing really great with all that. And the best part is, they just think it's a trick, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. It's they, they, it? yeah. At least, yeah. For for a lot of these things that aren't too invasive, at least they just find it yeah. as a trick. Yeah. And um, I, I did I get, so. I did get to um, do that. I would love to tell a little story too about the at the time a weanling that I was working with um, that I also did some cooperative care with. So my horse, my mare had a baby before I met her and I got to um, work a lot with him his first year of life, which was wonderful and got to do a lot of quicker training with him. And at one time, he apparently he had developed um, some uveitis in his eye. So some inflammation part of his eye and required twice a day eye meds um, for about two weeks. And the first time that I had to give the eye medication. There was uh, the property owner that I board my horse at. Um, she was there. And she's the one actually that had bred him and she was there. And so we just, um, since she was there, I'm like, Hey, do you, I'll just feed him and you can try to give it. And that actually worked pretty well. I just held a feed pan up to his face. Well, um, she gave the eye medication the next day. The next time I had to give it, there wasn't anybody around. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just put the feed pan on top of this trash bin. So his head is up, you know, not on the ground and see if I can do it. Well, that was a big mess because he just knocked the feed pan over. And <laughs> so he was on the ground and I was bending over and trying to get the eye meds in. I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. So the next time I went out there, I'm like, I'm going to clicker train this. And so it didn't take very long at all. And um I just started again giving him a predictor cue saying I, and bringing my hand towards his eye, and then um, treating for that. And I did use the clicker. I know you don't always have to use a clicker because I guess technically you are clicking, hopefully they are calm for that behavior yeah. and staying still. So that is what you're clicking. But I know there's some confusion out there sometimes where people say you're clicking your own behavior not their behavior you got to make sure that the horse is actually or the animal is calm for it but anyway (laughs) (laughs) it's a difficult one isn't it
0: yeah i i i'm I'm with you i think there's not a problem for clicking the horse to be calm while you're Doing something to them while they're standing still. The criteria is same. You can you can look at are the four feet standing still? Are the is the head still? Of is the eye that I'm needing to treat still? Yeah, I think I think it's yeah valid.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, and for me anyway, for the animals that I've worked with, you know, the clicker means something good to them. So it just puts them in a good state of mind too, or at least it can. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, gradually moved my hand closer and closer to his eye and he was great for it. I he was great for me moving all around his eye and touching it and, and bringing the eye medications up to his eye. What we still had an issue with was him actually opening his eye so I could get the eye medications in. I find that rather difficult with some horses to actually get that eye open. There's some pretty good muscles around there. But it became such a game for him. I feel like it was so interesting. We like really bonded over giving eye medications. Yeah, it's <laughs> I, cool. yeah I ended up because at first I would take him out of the pasture on halter and and do that. And it ended up where I could just go in the pasture. He's He's there with three or four other horses. And I would just go up to him and he knew what was coming and we would do it. He didn't have a halter on or anything. And it was just great. He was yeah. wonderful for it he looked forward to it it was just amazing so i yeah. think cooperative care can be just so useful and so amazing yeah
0: it, it i think it definitely builds relationships because it's something that you do regularly especially with a domestic pet that you've got in the house i think it's harder with horses but it just takes such a little time to do maybe 10 20 reps of something like touching an eye but it you know it's a great thing to do, and I would always encourage people to do those little things just to, to help build that bond. Uh, one yeah. question that I'm always asked, and that yeah, around cooperative care, and, and just for listeners who I'm, all, I'm sure they all know what cooperative care is, but you know, it's really whether the animal has a choice whether they participate or not to a degree. Um, obviously, we're always doing something to them, so that there's a, you know a limited amount of choice, but there is choice what do you do when your animal says no um do you stop training at that moment do you stop treating um with a cat would you just give them time out and see if they would like to try again would she would your cat hop on her toilet seat mm-hmm. again when she's you know maybe she's just got a little bit close to threshold and can't deal with it so you know any advice for people who's who would you're at that point where you want to keep going because you've nearly done it, but is it good to take a break at that time, especially with a cat? I know with a horse, that would often be my advice, but with a cat, would you just, um, yeah, talk us through your thoughts on that one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree. Giving them a break. I mean, that's really what cooperative care is all about, right? Respecting their signals um, to get them to cooperate, hopefully, um, to make them want to participate in their own care. So if we stop respecting their signals, then it's just gonna go downhill, I think, um, if it keeps up that way. On the other hand, of course, for some conditions, you just might have to do it, um, whatever the, the procedure or medication is. But I think, first of all, taking a step back, giving them a break, for sure, if they're wanting to move away or showing you any signs of you know, being uncomfortable or anxious. So giving them that break And taking stock of what you're doing and how you're feeling, I think, and also the environment. Is there a better place to do this? Are there, um, for, for cats, is it a quiet place? Is there something else going on in the house that's really distracting them or even scaring them and same for horses? Are there like a lot of other horses around that are getting in the way, or is there something else going on in the environment that they just can't, um, be as engaged with you or they're worried about something else. So taking stock of all of that and seeing what you can change to make it perhaps a better environment for the for the procedure you're trying to do. Um, If you do have to just go through with it um, for the their health and their welfare, you know, as far as the health goes, then I would suggest probably setting it up in a different place. So like For instance, my cat likes, like I said, the toilet seat in her bathroom for the fun training part. If I just have to get something done and I know she's not gonna like it, then I would probably take her somewhere else. Um, And just, of course, still try to do as low stress handling um, as possible in getting something done. Um, And then still rewarding for that anyway. So at least it ends on a positive note. Yeah, Those would be my thoughts
0: awesome advice Um, and I think we often forget about environment and I know that you talked a bit about the shelter cats Um, Mm -hmm. and I just wonder because I've I've adopted cats from shelters but literally I've gone in they've shown me a cat in a cat basket and told me the history and I've walked off with it because you know it might have had three legs and one eye (laughs) but I was going to have that cat and so I've never really Seen inside a cat shelter, apart from on TV, to know what happens when a really terrified cat comes in. Because we get this with horses as well, of course. We have feral horses here in England, we have several moors where ponies might roam ferally, uh, they're not wild, but and then when they get caught, that's their first knowledge of humans and what humans might do. And obviously, for cats that might have been feral cats or street cats. Yeah, so what happens in a a shelter when that fairly terrified cat or kitten arrives, Cheryl? What's the the protocol there?
1: Yeah, well, certainly every shelter is going to be a little different. And thankfully, I do feel like more and more are becoming interested in behavior and recognizing the cat's individual needs and trying to do things to mitigate, you know, fear and stress, which is great. Um, Even some... Some shelters I, I know will, if there's a veterinarian on staff, sometimes they will give an anti anxiety med the first couple of days while the cat is in the shelter, things like that might be possible. Um, I was very lucky, and again, that we had this separate unit. So, what I didn't mention before, we were taking cats randomly from the actual rescue to do, um, to use in our quicker training research, but we were also taking. We also reserved two cages um, for cats that were struggling in the shelter. They were very fearful, or maybe they were showing aggressive behaviors, most likely based in fear, that kind of thing. And we would would bring them over as well. And what I find is that, um, and and I do keep alluding to cages and yes, they're kept in cages, but they got a lot of out of their cage time, out of cage time in, in our unit. Um, and if they were friendly with other cats they would get to interact and play with other cats and things like that which was great Um, but what I found was most helpful for these fearful or under socialized cats and sometimes it's hard to tell are they just fearful because they've only been used to being in a home environment and this is so strange for them and they're not used to being around all these other cats and all these people and whatever or are they truly feral and and you know Again, this is really odd for them, but they they don't want anything to do with humans. So sometimes that's hard to tell the difference. And I know there has been some research on how shelter folks can um, tell the difference between a fearful but socialized cat and an under-socialized or potentially feral cat um, within a short period of time and put something together. Because unfortunately, in, in a lot of shelters, you know, if a cat doesn't seem to be adopted, adoptable, they do get euthanized. Um, So anyway, that was some great research by Margaret Slater and her colleagues at the ASPCA. Um, But what I found was there are several factors of the environment that can help these fearful animals. And that would be, first of all, quiet. So our behavior center was pretty quiet. We had a couple of volunteers We didn't get the traffic of people coming in, looking to adopt a cat. We did occasionally, but it wasn't like a regular shelter setting um, where people were always walking through. So that was very helpful. Um, Predictability, they knew how their day was going to go. You know, after the first few days, they realized, okay, they get that at this time. There's this person that does this, Um, you know, training happens at this time and things like that. Um, So predictability, I think, can go a really long way. Having the same caregiver, especially for a cat, I think is is huge. They don't have to get used to a bunch of different people who have different mannerisms. They sound different. They move differently. They can get used to one or two people and and start to develop some trust there. Um, One on one interactions. So the clicker training or any other behavior modification that we did. I think that can be really, really helpful, of course. And then just time, giving them some time. Again, in some shelter settings, you don't have the luxury of time um, before you decide what is going to happen with this cat in front of you. And we did. So that was that was super helpful. I think yeah. those things really helped. And and really, there were maybe a few cats um, that didn't really come around. But the vast majority of majority of them definitely showed improvement
0: yeah I was going to ask because I know you said there were some cats who never really wanted to click a train and never got into the program properly would you say that they were likely to be the the less socialized cats or or not was that um, you know completely an aside that uh, that those cats were in the program and, and it was just a a thing that some cats like training and others don't
1: Yeah. Again, I think it was more a bit of a personality thing. Um, Some of them are, were just those shy, fearful, they, they tended toward a more fearful, less bold personality Um, and they might've come from a home. So they, they could be socialized with humans, but didn't want to interact in that way. Yeah. Some of them, I, I think we did get a little bit of both. So some of them might've been outdoor cats and we don't know too much about their history. And um, yeah, so 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 I, I guess what know. I'm
0: thinking here is that it sounds like just like with horses, what you see on the outside and and when, and we know this because I, I met Cheryl um, on the equine ethogram course. And the, the lovely thing is that we all wanted to know how can we tell? We want concrete evidence. Is my horse in pain or is it this a behavioural problem? And it's the same with cats. You can quite easily um, give those cats values of, yes, you're feral or you're under socialised, but it might not just be that. We have to be careful not to make those assumptions sometimes because they that that horse or that cat might be treated slightly differently having you know made those assumptions I I love that you talk about you know the environment providing that quiet environment it's so like what we're looking for with horses isn't it you know getting that environment absolutely right and that predictability of knowing what's going to happen and when it's going to happen and we forget about that with horses because we turn up at the barn and we think yeah well we're here now that's it we'll do what we want to do but actually for your horse if it's their time when they might have been having their morning snooze and you turn up to do training they're not likely to be as keen as they might be at another time of the day um how do you work that with you when you're with working with so many cats you must have to get on and get the training done if if a cat's not up for training today do you just say okay we'll try you another day or another time or later or you know sort of what what markers were you looking at when the cats when you were training the cats that told you no this cat's not really in the game
1: today yeah um we did listen to that i mean obviously for sticking a target stick in their cage and they want nothing to do with it then we're not going to get anywhere <laughs> so so we would just let them alone um if that's what they wanted so it's it, we were doing research but we're certainly weren't going to force anything on any cat um their welfare would come first and again since this was a training session where their participation would be required if they don't want to participate that is then we don't continue.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So would you see things like we would with horses, for instance? So if you're training something with a horse and then another horse comes along the fence line Mm -hmm. and they think, oh, I might have to share my human and my food, and you would see um, a downturn in the behaviour. So you might see some latency in the cues. You might see uh, that sort of distraction and the horse not come back into the training so quickly after it had got its food. I'm assuming cats are pretty much the same that if they get distracted it just takes them a while to refocus on you and and you get those downturns in behavior just because there's other stuff going on in their environment
1: yes absolutely again we were lucky that we had different places that we could train so they could be in their cage and their cages weren't facing any other cats the cages were just along one wall um but doesn't mean that there weren't distractions, maybe out the window or something they could see out a window, if something was going on out there or something like that. But we could also take them into our little room. Um, it was actually like a little laundry room, food prep room, but it had a door and we put a curtain over the window in the door, although sometimes that didn't always work. They, if there was another cat out in the big room, they could still interact under the curtain or whatever. Um, So there's that, or they could be in the big room um, with other cats just watching from their cages. And I will say there were some cats that would, they see us clicker training another cat and they would start meowing and they would want the attention and the training as well. But, But we had at least some different options to change their environment, to reduce distractions if we could.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. I'm already starting to think, I wonder if a cat watches another cat targeting and thinks, I'm going to do that next because (laughs) I definitely see that with my dogs there's no doubt that my little Yorkie who is less on the game in terms of training compared to my spaniel he definitely sees us doing things and then when I do the same thing with him it's definitely easier for me and cats are such or appear to me to be such great mimickers and I'd love to know if if cats do that fascinating
1: yeah yes and i wish i had that answer like i don't i'm not completely sure if what research might be out there as far as do cats model behaviors and you know mimic behaviors or not Um, yeah it's it's fascinating certainly a possibility Yeah, yeah yeah as
0: with all of us yeah um I'll wrap things up or start to wrap things up a little bit, but there was one thing that I really wanted us to touch on before we left. And that is, I know that you, uh, you know, from your bio, that you got into horses, owning horses later in your life and how special that obviously has been for you. Um, But also that there's been problems with the lovely Cheerio who I've I've seen (laughs) online, not in person, I wish. Um, And I just wondered, you know, from the situation that you and Cheerio have where you've undergone several sort of investigations to find out if there are any reasons why Cheerio might not want to be ridden um, and how you feel about, you know, the whole cooperative thing. I know you spend a lot of time using mountain block training to get her absolutely comfortable with that, but, you know, what do we do if a horse says to us just like a cat says I don't want to train how how do we judge with horses I mean it's not a natural thing for us to sit on their backs it's not something we can imagine doing with a, a tiger or uh, a giraffe um, but you know how do we give them some ability to choose in, in that situation do you think it's just like with the cats that you can train that cooperatively as well
1: I mean, I think there's certainly potential to do that cooperatively, and ideally, that's how everybody would be doing it. But I know that's not how it works. Um, and I will say, you know, I have tried, I tried for years to get my husband to want to ride a horse or something um, with me, just on a trail ride or something. You know, one of those, but you know, where you pay for a trail ride or something. He would never do it. And I didn't understand. And he would say, you know, I feel bad for them. I feel bad for making them carry me around. And at the time, you know, I didn't think anything of it. That's what horses did. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But now I do have to think about that. And I do think about that. And you know, there's certainly huge conversations people can have. Is it right to do that with a horse or not? But I think the key is again, just having it somehow be fun fun for them. What are they getting out of it? Um, so hopefully, first of all, building a a good relationship with the horse, you know, out of the saddle so that you become willing partners and you trust each other. I think that is huge. Um, and then of course, you know, as as we all know, making sure that there's not pain involved. And that can be really difficult as I'm finding out with my horse Cheerio, um, who has decided earlier this year that she no longer wanted to be ridden and I'm sure it at least started out in pain but we're still trying to figure that out um so again what can we do to make them enjoy that aspect of our relationship and if we really can't then what do you do you have to ask yourself you know most people are into horses because they do want to ride of course um there are, are becoming I think more and more people that are not riding their horses um, for different reasons and I know there are Facebook groups and things like that for the unridden horse and you know people doing Liberty work and other things with them um So again, I think that whole choice and control, right giving them some say in the way their lives go um, is really important. In fact I was thinking about it at some point I don't you know, if I want to do this, uh, or if we get there teaching Tyrio, like giving her some literal signs, like a piece of a little piece of poster board or paper or something that has different symbols or something on them and getting her used to, because I know they've done this like with blanketing horses, perhaps you've Mm, heard of the research where um, they've taught horses to indicate whether or not they want to be blanketed. Um, but doing something like that where I start to show her one symbol means we're going to go for a walk in hand today and another symbol means we're going to go do some lunging in the arena another symbol means something else you know clicker training with mats or something and then having her put that that cue together with the behavior with the procedure training that we're going to do and then seeing eventually if she would pick one you know if i offer her yeah. different choices different symbols which one would she pick, would she pick? yeah <laughs> i, I think do that. yeah so. I,
0: I think that's a really difficult one um i love that idea that would be fabulous. <laughs> it is The one thing i think is difficult is the mounting block cuz we do so much positive stuff at the mounting block ready to mount and so we have this massive association with food and good feelings and not having to have someone start, sit on me. And then all of a sudden we go, now I'm going to sit on you. And it's yeah. such a hard one. The idea of having, you know, oh, you can go out today for an in-hand walk or, you know, if, if you go to the mountain block, I will be riding you. But you can choose whether you go in the arena or for a trail ride. Yeah, you know, it's just giving them that bit of choice which is amazing and I think yeah if anyone can train it Cheryl I think you can <laughs> it would be great I've just read a book about um, a lady training her dog like she has um, a great big communication board it, yes it's interesting because she came from the point of view of a speech therapist rather yes. than a dog trainer and it, it was fascinating how although she said she didn't use any sort of reinforcement obviously she used loads of reinforcement because every time that particular sign was used, that buzzer was used, um, then the dog would get what they wanted. So it was it was awesome. Um, and yeah, I think horses absolutely could do that. It's just that association, isn't it, with
1: whatever you use to show them
0: the choice. So, oh, I hope you do some of that. That would be really good fun.
1: <laughs> the biggest thing with that for anybody though, and with the dogs, and, and I know some cats are doing a similar thing to what you are talking about with the dog, um, is that we have to be willing to listen to what their response is. And with horses in particular, (laughs) that can be really difficult because, you know, we have in our minds what we wanna do with the horse and if they don't wanna do it, are we okay with that? Mm
0: -hmm. And so that's, I think, the big thing. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think it's a really difficult one because I think there is this, certainly here in the UK, and I would guess it's not different in the US, that people say, I spend all this money and all I ask for is an hour a day to sit on their back. It's not really a big deal. Why, why can't they? And certainly, you know, I'm sure you've had this with, with with cats, dogs and horses, that, you know, it's convincing the person that when they say no, there's no for a reason that, that horses are affiliated. They're not really... The type of animal that's why they're d- domesticated to ride they're not the sort of animal that does say no without a really good reason um, yeah. so yeah it's finding um, the place where people can be open to the horse saying no and respecting it isn't it yeah so important so we need a big no on that board that, that <laughs> communication board has to have a, a big fat zero i'm not doing anything i want to go and eat food <laughs>
1: Yeah. And I know a lot of people will say, you know, you give them the option to say no and then they choose not to say no so yeah. often. Yeah. You know, it's, obviously it, depending is, on what it is. But
0: Yeah, I find that's incredible because people say, Well, well, they won't want to do anything. If I say, you know, do you want to do nothing or do you want to come out with me? but they do they do like interacting they do like doing things with their bodies they do like stretching stepping over poles they mm-hmm. do seem to get some pleasure out of some of these things so yeah i think it, it's just being open-minded and accepting that the pain and discomfort can cause such a different response to for, for a horse and obviously uh for a cat or a dog as well um I wonder if you could think of something that you would like if if Cheryl if young Cheryl who hadn't got animals and was getting her first cats and hiding them in in her (laughs) room rental um, what would you what advice would you love to give to people listening who are you know, sort of at the beginning of maybe their cat training and um, maybe they've got horses too, um, you know, it, it, do you think it's a wonderful thing to train your cat if you've got horses and and see that crossover and use that? Or what advice would you give people?
1: Yes, absolutely. The more species you can train, the better. I think the better trainer you will be um, because every different species is, is coming from a, a bit of a different point of view based on their you know, natural history and their needs and their motivations. And it's only gonna help when you're training any other animal. Um, I think the biggest thing for anybody with any animal is to learn about their body language so that you can better read and understand what they're trying to tell you. There, I think cats are one of the most misunderstood pets out there. <laughs> um, so many people, just they're not seeing what the cat is trying to tell them, unfortunately. Um, And that goes with, you know, any animal really to some extent, but I think cats are kind of up there in the misunderstood (laughs) species. Um, So just learning all you can about their body language, you know, books, videos, going online, there's more and more people out there teaching body language of dogs and cats and horses. um, So I think that's super important. And then learning it and then respecting it and seeing what you can do. Also seeing what you can do about your own body language to help reduce any fear or stress that you might inadvertently be causing in your animal. Because I know none of us want to be doing that, but um, sometimes we do it without even realizing it. Yeah.
0: Oh, that is awesome advice. Um, Really looking into your species (laughs) and other species just to, you know, sort of see what the whole package brings. I think it's really, really important. Uh, It's been fabulous talking to you Cheryl and I've got a lot out of it and I'm going to keep looking at my clicker training cats on (laughs) uh, Instagram and learn more although I'm unlikely to have a cat for some time because I live too close to a road and um, I really worry about one going out um, sure. but um, but I just absolutely love cats and I wish I knew what I knew now no now when I first had cats because that would have been yeah made life a lot easier for the cats maybe not for me maybe for me certainly <laughs> certainly for my cats thanks for joining a Cheryl. everyone listening I will put uh, all Cheryl's info i will put links to her iabc webinar which is open access to anyone there's some super video there that you can have a look at and i'll see if i can find um i think there's a little video of you training your cat in the bath to walk and follow the target in the (laughs) bath it's honestly take a look guys i suze that presents often with me on the the uh podcast she often says i think everybody should have to train, click a trainer cat because it you know your skills it are really really honed when you're <laughs> training a cat so um yeah that would be awesome have a look and see it check out cheryl's work because it's it's really um interesting i think from a cat perspective and good luck with cheerio and i hope everything comes good whether or not you write her again
1: or yeah just that you have we still have fun yeah exactly yeah brilliant thanks so much for joining me cheryl thank you so much
0: judy thanks for joining us on that episode i hope you enjoyed it we enjoyed recording it and i hope i'll see you again soon don't forget to check out my courses at understandhorses.com you can find my website at www.equine.training see you again soon guys